Welcome to CFOs in Motion, presented by CFO Intelligence with your host, Andrew Zizis. Dynamic and direct one-on-one interviews with CFOs and executives from enterprise and middle market companies. And now, here's your host, Andrew Zizis. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CFOs in Motion, where we bring you interviews with accomplished and insightful CFOs at middle market and enterprise companies. I'm your host, Andrew Zizis. It's great to be back with you again. As you know, we're pretty selective about who we invite to participate in CFOs in Motion interviews. Today, we have with us a highly accomplished and diverse finance and strategy executive, an active participant in CFO intelligence, one who's attended many of our in-person events in Chicago, and CFO who will appear in the cover story of the upcoming issue of CFO Intelligence Magazine, a longtime friend, Scott Setterston, Chief Financial Officer of Ulta Beauty. Now, after you watch today's episode, if you'd like to learn more about our guest, Scott, about CFOs in motion, or about CFO intelligence, please contact me at andrew.zezas at cfointel with two L's.com. Now, here's some background on Scott Setterston. He's been Ulta Beauty CFO for almost 10 years. Ulta Beauty, traded on NASDAQ under ULTA, has fiscal 21 revenues of more than $8.6 billion. It's the largest U.S. beauty retailer and the premier beauty destination for cosmetics, fragrance, skin, and hair products, and salon services. Ulta Beauty operates more than 1,300 stores across 50 states and also distributes its products through a thriving digital platform, and we'll learn more about that today. Scott oversees Ulta Beauty's core accounting, finance, tax, treasury, risk and control, FP&A, and investor relations activities, as well as the company's procurement, loss prevention, and real estate functions. He's pretty busy. <laughs> he also plays a key role in developing and driving Ulta Beauty's strategic and M&A focus. Scott also serves on the board of directors and, the, and is the audit committee chair for Kimball International Inc., NASDAQ KBAL. Kimball's a leading omni-channel commercial furnishings design and manufacturing company with deep expertise in the workplace, health, and hospitality markets. Scott, it's an absolute pleasure to see you again, to have you join us here on CFOs in Motion. I always enjoy our conversations. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, Andy. Nice to see you again as well, and I'm uh, happy to be here today. Thank you. Glad to have you. Scott, let's jump right into our conversation. Ulta Beauty is an incredible company, and you've accomplished some really great things there. I imagine you're having a lot of fun. Well, it's it's extra fun when the business is performing well, and so we're in a great spot today. So, yes, I am enjoying myself more than usual these days. <laughs> well, I hope you get a lot more of that. <laughs> Given what's going on in the world, you know, there, there are supply channel problems and, and other very significant challenges. Ulta's net sales for the first quarter of 22 jumped 21.3% to $2.3 billion. That's tremendous. And more customers have joined Ulta, the Ultimate Rewards Loyalty Program. How did you do that given what's going on in the world? Well, we, as you can imagine, are very happy with uh, the strong start to our fiscal 2022. And so, again, despite all the turmoils and disruptions and uncertainties that we've all been dealing with, uh, the beauty category, once again, has kind of demonstrated its resiliency, right, in, in spite of all those kinds of things. So, again, we're in a very unique position. Beauty is not immune to all the, 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 the negative things that are happening around us, but it does perform 
relatively stronger than other parts of retail under these kind of conditions. So um, I would also say that part of our performance, the overperformance both on operating and the financial end is due to our good planning and execution, right? So again, all that is part and parcel of what we do here every day and what the finance function does uh, to help support the business. I would say regarding the loyalty program, so again, that's a very important ingredient to our secret sauce. As you probably saw, again, we have over 37.5 million active members in our ultimate rewards program, and they drive over 95% of our total sales. So again, very important part of the mix overall and something that our team spent a lot of time focusing on. Uh, you know, and continuing to innovate and enhance that program to ensure that we stay what I would call best in class in the retail space. So very important to our business. Scott, can you repeat that number? How many people in your loyalty program? Over 37.5 million uh, at the end of the first quarter. So again, you know, the growth, we saw some growth again coming out of the COVID situation, right? People are back shopping and engaging especially in our category. And so uh, I would say the growth that we saw in the first quarter, which was outsized, is largely due to people coming back into our physical stores, right? And engaging with our beauty loving associates where they get a chance to hear more about the benefits and, and the reasons why they should be part of the program. Wow, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. So in, in doing the many things that you do at Ulta, you helped lead the company to an omni-channel approach. Mm-hmm. And, and now the consumers are actually coming into stores and have been doing that for many months. Do you expect that the company will continue to grow its online engagement? And if so, what will drive that? Yeah, so it's kind of funny how the pendulum has kind of swung back and forth here over the last 10 years, right? I'd say, you know, back in the 2012, 2013 timeframe, um, as retailers in general, us and all of retail kind of recognize the acceleration of the consumer moving to more of an e-commerce or digital kind of shopping experience, uh, we were quick to get on the investment cycle, right? Investing in capabilities to enhance our websites, our digital apps, building more distribution center and supply chain capabilities to help meet the demand. And so we you know, we we immersed ourselves in all that. And uh, of course, Wall Street, you probably remember pretty skeptical, right? That old guard retailers were gonna be able to compete with the, the new direct to consumer models that were out there and starting to dominate the space. And so I'm happy to say, you know, we saw during the, the peak of the pandemic, we were fortunate that we were able to make those investments and they were very timely in that we, you know, as a, what I'd call a discretionary retailer. We were forced to close our stores back in March, April, May timeframe back in 2020. And so we were able to quickly pivot over to being a 100% online or digital only kind of business. And so that really helped, you know, mitigate a lot of the pressure that we were feeling because again, nobody would have ever imagined us having to close stores, you know, with an unknown kind of target date in mind. And so that was a pretty scary period of time, I would say. So, you know, us and other old line, you know, retailers, I guess I could call them, learned our lessons, were able to pivot. And now we see, you know, with additional capabilities like buy online, pick up in store or curbside services or ship from store kinds of capabilities that now as we kind of exit the COVID 
cycle that we're seeing the pendulum kind of come back the other way now and retailers, not just Ulta, but many, you know, top uh, best in class retailers are really making the most out of these new capabilities and delivering not only increased revenues, but also improved profitability right through some of these additional capabilities. So, you know, we've said before that we believe brick and mortar is an important part of our business, super critical, as is the digital piece. And so we we plan our business to grow both of those channels as we look out over the longer term. So with with all the trends between digital and in-store, how does Ulta forecast consumer trends, like, for example, the move to prestige cosmetics? Yeah. So what makes Ulta Beauty kind of unique is the wide range of our assortment, right? We go across price points, high to low. We carry all kinds of different products from mass to prestige in all different categories, hair care, skin care, uh, makeup, and services inside of our store. So um, our merchants are primarily in charge of or focused on identifying new trends, right? They're out there scanning the horizon around the world, seeing what's going on with consumers and in beauty regiments. Um, and so they, you know, you think about runway shows and the entertainment industry and all the social media influencers. And of course our vendor partners, right? Who do a lot of R and D and, you know, try to keep up with trends as well. And so they take all that information back we huddle up with our vendor partners to kind of figure out how we bring that to life and how we can bring it to market uh, to satisfy consumers' uh, appetites for those kinds of things. And then, yeah, try to bring it to life, uh, you know, in our stores and online. So there's always something that's a great thing about our category. There's always something. There's the seasons changing. There's the, you know, the influencers changing what's hot now. So that's something that really keeps the, the category in our business dynamic. So to that end, in terms of staying on top of trends, I, I've noticed that Ulta does an incredible job in balancing investment in new products, you know, supporting existing products, those, who are, those that have been winners, and, and bringing in new products. Tell us about that, and specifically, how does finance play into that effort? Yeah, so what you just described there is really, I'd call the heart of our business, right, is the assortment, making sure you have the products and services that consumers are looking for. So, you know, it really comes down to collaboration between the core teams there that are working on these kinds of initiatives and objectives. As I just mentioned, the merchants are charged with going out, right, and finding, identifying newness, right, to bring to our to our business and working with a lot of different third-party uh, data points there to try to determine what that is. Of course, they bring that back then and kind of determine what it is, how it's going to be presented in the store, you know, fixturing and displays and marketing and awareness building kind of activities, you know, determining what the economic terms are going to be when they're dealing with our vendor partners. And then they get support. So here comes the first part of the collaboration with our merchandise planning and inventory teams or MP&I teams. And so they work with the merchants to figure out, okay, how much of this can we sell and what kind of profit margins can we make? And uh, how, how are we going to make the math work on that part of it? And then the MP&I team then hooks up with the supply chain team to determine what the product flow is going to be. You know, when's it going to be shipped? When's it going to be receded? How is this going to flow through our network out to the stores, the allocations there? Because not every store, right, operates just like other stores, right? You kind of kind of have a range of uh, productivity there. And then how much do we keep for the digital channel in our business? 
And then we kind of pull it all together. So our FP&A team, we have individuals identified for each step in that process as we think about the profit equation here. And their work, so they work with the merchants, they work with MP&I, they work with supply chain to figure out what the cost, you might call it cost of ownership or cost to serve, it's described different ways, but we figure out what the profit equation is going to look like through each step there to make sure holistically we understand, you know, what this decision is going to mean for us. And of course, as we're adding new products to the assortment, we're also thinking about products that we're going to remove, right? Because we've got a limited amount of space and we want, you know, our charge, our objective is to try to make that space, whether it's in a store on a shelf or in our distribution centers on a shelf, as productive a space as we can possibly make it. So I'm proud to say our FP&A team is viewed as a real key contributor to the strategic success of the company and, and is recognized by all our senior leaders as a real value add to the process. Wow. Wow. That's phenomenal. That's mm -hmm. phenomenal. You, 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 it's apparent that your, your online business is very essential in the context of the overall enterprise. How's the company identified ways to get closer to its online customers? Yeah, I would say a misconception by many is that there's, you know, that online is some special pool of customers. You know what I mean? It's not really the case. I mean, we, the way we see it, an online customer is every customer, right? I mean, our mindset as an omni-channel retailer, and I'm, I'm sure this is prevalent, is every transaction, whether it's in the store or on a digital platform, is in some way influenced by our digital assets, right? People, they research, they're do, doing their due diligence, they're looking at tutorials, they're trying to get informed. You know, again, social media plays a big role in what people are interested in and what they're looking to purchase, right? So that's the way we think about our business. So it's a, it's a, it's a long pathway from picking up your phone, right, and looking at an advertisement or a, maybe we send you a loyalty email or they see a video somewhere on a TikTok platform or Instagram, and then they try to figure out where they're going to find that product and purchase that product, right? So it's an end-to-end -end process here. And we are focused on all the different steps in there, right? So, for example, our website or our app, as they're looking through Ulta, like how do we make the navigation easier so that they can find the products quicker kinds of things? How do we bring more information so that they can educate themselves about the products, right? So we might, we're adding things around ingredients, right? Or health conscious kinds of things, or are these products animal tested or not kinds of things. Uh, we might be thinking about uh, loyalty information and how do we serve that up easier and take, you know, friction out of trying to figure out how many points or value they've accumulated and when they can redeem points and things like that, or how much they have in their wallet. Um, we might think about things like augmented reality, right? Like virtual try-on, which is a very important part of our business and is, you know, in, in a lot of retail, but beauty especially, right? You can try, see color on your face, your lips. You can look at hair color. You can do a lot of things through augmented reality. Uh, we work on things like AI um, and, and think about ways we can serve up complimentary products to people as they're shopping or getting ready to check out on our website or our app, right? And there's things, there's a litany of things like payment options for people, right? You might've heard of things like uh, buy now, pay later, which is a big trend now, especially with Gen Z shoppers. So 
all there's a lot of different elements to how we think about the journey, the purchase journey, and how we engage more closely with our guests to make it easier for them to shop with Ulta Beauty. I seem to remember that when I was a young boy in the 60s, they called it layaway. <laughs> <laughs> What's old is new again. You're absolutely right, Andy. We've been around too long, I'd say. <laughs> so, so let me ask you, as, as you know, online becomes such an important part of retail and, and certainly the digital aspect of Ulta Beauty's focus, are you concerned about the 800-pound gorillas uh, on the digital in the digital world, Amazon, Walmart, and other companies? Yeah, the short answer is yes. Uh, the, the longer answer is uh, the beauty category has always been very competitive. You know, I've been in it now for over well over 15 years, and it's always been super hyper-competitive because it's dynamic, it's a growing category, and it's got a healthy margin profile. Right. So everybody's trying to get into beauty one way or another. Uh, you can we say you can purchase beauty products in over 60,000 locations on any given day in the United States. Right. So that wow. gives you a sense for wow. the scale here. So, again, we compete with mass and drug stores. We compete with uh, department stores. We compete with big box discounters, of course, all the specialty retailers and then all the direct to consumer platforms that are out there as well, you know? So yes, competition, we watch them all closely um, and keep, you know, close tabs on developments and what we should be thinking about as well in our business, right? There's always enhancements uh, occurring there. And so, but we, our focus is playing offense. We know our model works. We've been successful for a long period of time. We know how to connect with our consumer. We believe we have better customer insights than most all of our competitors do. And so we just, we feel like, yep, we need to be aware. We need to keep pace, but we, you know, as long as we focus on our offense, we'll, we'll be in good shape. As far as the, um, you know, the ship immediately or same day shipping kind of thing, again, that's just another option for consumers, you know, like Uber versus their competitors, right? There's a proliferation of things going on in the marketplace right now. Again, take friction out for the consumer, consumer friendly kinds of things. And so same day shipping is not something that everyone needs or everybody wants, you know, and it kind of depends on the category and what the items are. And so again, we're just, we're focused on making sure we're meeting expectations for our, our guests. Hmm. Hmm. So you, you mentioned big box and mass retailers. You, Ulta's got a partnership with Target. Can you talk a little bit about that and share with us, will there be other partnerships with other mass retailers? Yeah, so we're very excited about the Target relationship. Again, the Ulta Beauty at Target, some might call it a shop and shop kind of concept, uh, was launched uh, late last summer, 2021. And again, it's it's beyond the shop and shop concept. So it's a very curated assortment of some of our best products, right? Ranging different categories uh, and price points. And again, it's not it's not an effort to replicate an, a full Ulta inside of a Target store. That's not what we're going after. And so that's why we believe it's more innovative than similar kinds of concepts we've seen over time. And so it's, it, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for us uh, to build awareness inside Target. You know, again, they've got, I think, more than 30 million shoppers inside a Target front door every week in the United States. So it's a great opportunity for us to 
stay top of mind to our guests, Ulta Beauty shoppers who also shop at Target. You know, there's no surprise there. People love Target stores. And it's an opportunity for us to introduce our brand to Target shoppers who maybe don't know anything about Ulta or what we offer, right? Or what an, uh, an experience could be there. So the, the whole notion is to get to engage with shoppers inside a Target. And, you know, there's a service component there too, a beauty advisor to help guide the, the shopper inside the store uh, and to get them linked up with our loyalty program and to get them to connect with us in a full line Ulta Beauty shopping experience at some point, right? So that's the, the virtuous loop we're looking to build. And it's still really early, early. We're just, you know, I don't know, maybe about 200 stores worth now with more coming in the years uh, to come. And we believe over the long term, it's a great awareness building activity and will lead to stronger sales for us again over the long term. Very, very creative approach. Hmm. Talk to me, Scott, about Ulta's new UB Media Initiative. Yeah, so media, retailers and media, this is not necessarily a new concept. So this has been developing now for a, the last couple of years. And so some of the big guys like the Amazons and Walmarts and Targets and others have dipped their toes and have kind of built pretty significant businesses around this concept of, of media and marketing on behalf of vendor partners and others. So for us, again, this was something we announced last year at our analyst day. We just kicked off here uh, within the last couple of months. So it's a way for us to bring to the value of our first party data, again, over 37 and a half million loyalty members that we have deep insight into, right? What they buy, what their habits are, what the trends are as they shop across all the categories in our store. Again, we're in a very unique position. Nobody knows beauty like Ulta Beauty. It's all the categories, it's all the services, all kind of under one roof. Nobody else does that in the beauty space, right? So lots of competition, but nobody does exactly what we do. So it's a unique position for us and for our vendors to get insight into how people are you know, shopping and what they're interested in. Uh, in reviewing. So we kind of play the middleman, right? So again, you've probably heard those old jokes about, you know, marketing, like you know where 50% is, is productive and the other 50% is kind of like a black hole, right? Because it's hard to measure television advertising and some of the other uh, deployments that you use in a marketing campaign. So what we bring to the table is a more measurable, you know, it could be more personalized because we know who's shopping and you know how all this internet, the tracking and the, well, cookies is making it a lot more difficult now. And that's one of the elements, the variables, the fact that, you know, we're doing away with a lot of that. So it's tougher to track people and where they're, they're navigating across the internet. So we can hook it up to our loyalty program data. We can see how they're shopping at Ulta Beauty. And we can also look at other third-party platforms and kind of see what the traffic trends are. And we can serve up advertising. So think about little mini vignettes or videos or you know placement banner ad kinds of things, you know, on all kinds of platforms. Third-party open platforms like Instagram and YouTube and you know, places like that, as well as our own digital assets, right? Our website, our app. And so we can bring to bear the advertising marketing materials of the vendor. And then again, another virtuous part of the cycle here is, and then we can help direct 
the shopper back to Ulta Properties to transact on those beauty products, right? So it's kind of a, again, it's important. It's a win-win situation. And that's the way we always think about our business and uh, doing business with our vendor partners is it's got to be good for both of us or it does it's not going to work over the long term. So again, we feel like we're in a very unique position. And this is something that's really going to be a, a, a driver of growth for us for, in the years to come. Absolutely. Hmm. So everything you talk about is you've spoken about so far has to do with not only the people who are your customers, but the people in your organization and how uh, how much you rely on good people. How as CFO are you coping with what every great company is coping with today? The ability to attract and retain great talent. Yeah, well, we're not immune, you know, like everybody else. I'm sure that's listening to this is uh, grappling with the talent people issues that have, you know, come about through the course of the COVID disaster, I guess I'll call it, right? So everybody, everybody's kind of reassessing their, you know, the work status, their, how they think about health and safety kinds of things, how they think about their career, you know, versus their personal life balance, where they, where they want to live, right? What kind of weather they want, right? Everybody's thinking about life in general in a little different way. And so we've had We've had to deal with that just like everybody else. Um, I would say our culture has really helped us kind of weather the storm, maybe better than some others. Um, you know, stretching way back now, the culture focus of our company has been right at the top of the list. And so our engagement scores have always been upper quartile, you know, across a wide spectrum of businesses, uh, even higher versus other retailers. And so We've always felt really comfortable and good about our position there. Um, you know, the leadership of the company, people like uh, they believe in the mission, kind of what we're all about, what our mission of the company is and how we go about taking care of our business, uh, how we treat people. Um, you know, along those lines, what we did, how we reacted during the COVID crisis and how we took care of our people, again, I think was a is a chip that played to our advantage here as we're you know, dealing with some of this uh, disruption now. Um, you know, we're balancing wage pressure like everybody is, right, in this environment. So we're we're managing our way through that. But just listening to our people, like what's the most important thing to, to, to our associates right now? And again, it's workplace, right? Flexibility and where I do my job, right? So we're trying to be really open-minded about how we manage our way through all that making sure we can drive the business, but also provide as much flexibility uh, to our people as possible. Career development is still super important to people, right? Whether they're physically next to you or not, right? How do I grow my career? Um, they're thinking about uh, the teams they work with, making sure they get recognition for all the good work that they're doing. So again, it's not all about the dollars and cents, it's still about people and how you take care of your team. So we're focused on that. I'd say, you know, the talent we're looking for is talent everyone's kind of looking for, right? You're looking for data and analytical capabilities. You're looking for digital capabilities. We're looking for IT specific kinds of skill sets. We're looking for PMO folks that can help us. We got a lot of large scale IT projects that are in process right now. And so all of that kind of leading to, you know, the future of retail and how we, we operate our business. Um, I'd say generally speaking, we're not, we're, the talent pool's good. It's deep. We're finding the people that we need uh, to add to our business, uh, but it's taken longer, you know, again, no surprise, it's taken longer to, to, 
to recruit and cultivate and onboard people. And then, of course, the cost is going up, right, like it is for everybody. So that's just another variable we have to deal with. Yep. Cost and everything is going up. Yeah. Yeah. Tie, tie back, if you will, your, your ability to attract and retain to Ulta's short-term and long-term growth plans. Yeah, so we were forced, just because of the cycles we were on, to go back and update our long-term plan last year, last summer at this time, we were in the, you know, the throes of it. And so that was a pretty difficult undertaking because of all the uncertainty, right? Even back then, we were kind of talking about, you know, economic, maybe slowdowns and pullbacks and those kinds of things. So we went through the process last summer and we had an analyst day last October where we updated investors on how we were thinking about uh, the future of the company. Uh, So I think, as I, I mentioned earlier, of course, we're a growth business, right? And we expect to continue to grow both our brick and mortar you know, channel of our business, you know, maybe 50 or so net new stores every year is what we're, we expect to see here the next few years. And we expect to have healthy growth in our digital, our e-commerce space as well. Even after cycling over spectacular results, right? 2020, we 2X'd our e-com business versus 19. That's a big, you know, a big leap ahead. And then 2021 was strong too, as we started kind of coming out of the co- impacts, the depths of the COVID situation. So, we're lapping, anniversary, cycling over some pretty big numbers, but we feel like our model is stronger today than it was pre-pandemic for a lot of different reasons. Part of it being that the whole channel shift thing and the pendulum kind of swinging back uh, situation I described earlier. So we feel good about our longer long-term outlook for the business. You know, 2022, there's still a lot of uncertainty. Again, I'm sure you're you're keeping up on the news headlines as we all are about you know, the inflationary pressures and interest rates and all the other things happening here. So we're just taking what I'd call a prudent approach to expectations for the second half of the year, because again, nobody really knows how the consumer is going to react, right? When is enough enough or when, you know, after the vacation cycles are over here at the end of August and kids are back in school, it's like, what's reality going to look like in September and October? That's that's a big question for all of us. Are, are there, given what's going on, Going, let me say that differently. Um, that obviously Ulta is an incredibly resilient brand, and the business model is incredibly resilient. But like you said, what's coming? It's it's an unknown. It's uncertainty. Are there any things in particular that are in front of the company? Inflation, sourcing, supply chain, energy cost, wage wage pressure, geopolitical issues. Are there any things in particular that the company? is is focused on more than some of the other issues that companies are focused on. Yeah, I'll take answer D, all of the above, right? I mean, this is this is the question that all CFOs I know are grappling with these days, right? I talk to a lot of them. And so everything, every one of those variables you mentioned could impact consumer shopping patterns and consumption patterns, right? And so that's the the question is when does the food prices, the gas prices, I mean even we and the beauty are passing along price increases because the vendors, the cost of making the products is going up, right? And so it just kind of becomes a, a question of when, when and how much kind of thing. So it's occupying a lot of mind space these days for me and, and many of my uh, my colleagues here. So I would say, you know, we, Ulta Beauty specifically, you know, retailers go, you know, Saturday closest to the end of the month kind of thing. So we're just getting ready to close out our second quarter here this coming Saturday. And so we're off kind of to the races. We've 
reset our sales outlook for the second half of the year. And now we're working through the rest of the PL variables here. And so there'll be a lot of scenario analysis, you know, what if this, what if that, what, you know, kinds of things. And then what if the worst happens? What do we do? What levers do we pull to kind of adjust the business here? Um, it's hard to know how consumers are going to react at any point in time. Um, you know, there's a lot of different outlooks on what's going to happen, right? Like risk of recession, how, you know, how impactful could it be? How long could it last kind of thing? And so there's a wide variation in outlooks. And you look at the economists, you know, and the banks and what they're thinking could happen here in the second half of the year or early 2023. And so, yeah, it's hard to know. There has been a trend here. Again, you don't ignore the signs. I would say, you know, there's been a spat of recent earnings, downward earnings adjustments from well-known retailers here recently, you know, Walmart and Target and uh, Bath and Body Works and, and others. And so that's something that we're seriously considering, right? Like the, the flow through impact on our business from some of the, those, those headlines. And so, you know, the one thing Ulta Beauty has, so we're fortunate in some ways, is, um, you know, um, we get a scorecard every day. We get a dashboard that tells us how our business is doing, how the consumer is reacting to things, right? So every day at nine o'clock, I know what the sales were the day before, what the selling margin was. And so that's a comfort to kind of have real-time information on how your, your business is reacting. You know, the beauty beauty category itself is resilient, as I mentioned, right? So consumers, there's a replenishment element to it, right? People use up shampoos and sunscreen and things like that. They have to buy more. And then so there's things they need. And then there's things they don't necessarily need, but they want, right? This comes back to the fashion, the runway, the newness, the, the season. So, you know, makeup, the new lip color, whatever it is coming. So that's something unique that we have that a lot of others especially in the retail space, don't necessarily have. So we're in a really unique position. And, uh, you know, we've been through we've been through some tough times in the past. And so we know we know what to do. We know what muscles to flex. And so we just need to be prepared to, to take action. Wow, Scott, that's tremendous. Um, I, I, we're coming down to the, the down the home stretch on our interview. And I really just have one more question. Given all you've done at Ulta and your previous background and and the, the the things you do outside the company, there are CFOs and future CFOs who will be watching this show. What advice would you give to those folks, whether they're current CFOs or potential CFOs, about how best to drive growth in times like this? Yeah. So um, I talk to a lot of CFOs in a lot of different forums. And I don't think it's any secret uh, to long-serving, successful CFOs that, uh, you know, the core job requirements. So that laundry list of things you read, at, you know, as part of my introduction here, you know, the accounting and finance, the treasury, the tax, the investor relations, risk and control kinds of things, that's table stakes. You know, you're expected to be a subject matter expert and to deliver excellence on each one of those pieces every day, no questions asked, right? And so that's that's just getting a seat at the table kind of thing. What the value that a good CFO brings is, you know, finding a way to be part of the strategy and the, the value creation drivers of the business, right, for the long term. 
Um, and so, you know, driving a, a successful growth strategy, which of course people are a big part of that, right? It's not just all the X's and O's, what has to be done necessarily, but how are you, how you pull your teams together to execute against that. And so, you know, the one thing specific to myself that I would say has worked well over time is I always think of myself as a general manager first and a finance person second. That's how I see myself and describe myself. So when I'm in the strategy meetings or talking about a new business endeavor or an M&A opportunity, it's always where I put the finance hat in the pocket. I put the general manager's hat on my head and partake and think about the business and help ideation as though I'm one of the functional leaders of the business. And how are we going to drive growth and try to optimize the business overall, right? And then when the pro proper time comes, I put that hat away on the shelf and I put my finance hat back on because now I'm the expert and I'm going to help develop the algorithm, you know, what, you know, sales and margin and capital allocation implications are from these decisions or potential decision points. And then I guess the super important part is pulling that all together into a simple story, right? Again, complexity is the evil of all good things. And so boiling it down into a simple storyline where the qualitative part of it, the general manager part, and the quantitative part of it, the CFO part, kind of fits together nicely. And it's easy to explain to your associates, to your board members, and most importantly, to investors, right? And so that's the recipe that's worked for me for a long time and uh, made me a successful CFO here at Ulta Beauty. Well, apparently it's worked well for Ulta as well. <laughs> Scott, your insights about Ulta Beauty and your accomplishments at the company, they're all incredible. Um, all I can say is congratulations on a truly great story. And congratulations on Ulta Beauty's success. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us, your insights, and for being with us today. Thank you very much, Andy. It's been my pleasure. Happy to share. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you as well for joining us on CFOs in Motion. If you'd like to know more about Ulta Beauty or Scott Satterston, visit the company online at ulta.com, U-L-T-A.com, or stop into one of the company's over 1,300 stores. Now, if you'd like to learn more about CFO intelligence, or if you'd like to be considered for a CFOs in Motion video interview, please contact me at andrew.zezas at cfointel with two L's.com. It's been great visiting with you today. Scott, thank you again. I'm Andrew Zizas for CFO Intelligence and for CFOs in Motion. We'll see you again real soon. Thanks for joining us on CFOs in Motion, presented by CFO Intelligence with your host, Andrew Zizas. If you have an interesting topic that you'd like us to discuss here on CFOs in Motion, or if you've got a great CFO topic that you're passionate about and would like to be interviewed on this podcast series or published in CFO Intelligence Magazine, visit cfointel.com. That's C-F-O-I-N-T-E-L-L.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been CFOs in Motion, presented by CFO Intelligence with your host, Andrew Zizis. We'll see you next time. The opinions and views presented on this podcast by Andrew Zizis are his own and may not be relied upon as fact. The opinions and views of others who appear on this show are their own as well and may not be relied upon as fact or for any other purpose. 
Opinions and views and other information are provided for general information and educational purposes only.